Welcome to the Emo Social Club podcast, broadcasting to you live from EmoSocialClub.tv. I am Brian. And I'm Lizzie. We are the Emo Social Club podcast, not the pop punk pop pop podcast. Uh, Sometimes we talk about pop punk. Sometimes we talk about, you know, the emo adjacent genres. Talk about the history. We talk about all that good stuff with it. That's what this podcast is about. And we bring on, it all together. We just we we want to be an all-encompassing melting pot. I still haven't thought of a better metaphor. This episode is with Mike DeMonte, who is the author of the book Hey Suburbia, which is a, uh, a, a history, he says not comprehensive history, of pop punk, kind of emo culture, and uh, warped tour generation, that kind of thing. So we talk with him about a lot of that, the history, and all these different uh, sides of what has come before and what is coming now, I think. A good way I to really think it. that we should just petition to be called the Warped Tour Generation instead of Millennials. Just saying. Sounds a little bit more fun. I like it better. I am, I like it substantially better. <laughs> we will also uh, try to hook you with the fact that he is a UFO author as well. So you got to stick around so. till the end to find out more about that information. That's Brian asked the, the hard-hitting question, too, so yeah. you're, you're just going to have to wait and see. God, I listen to the end on this one. Uh, before we get into it, remember that if you like this podcast, if you like this episode, if you like the guests that we've had on, make sure to share it with somebody. Toss it on Instagram, toss it on Twitter, uh, share it with a buddy, play it in the car for your mom, uh, all that Put it on stuff. your road trip podcast playlist. Yeah. Make your friends listen to it for your fucking eight-hour ride that you're doing. Apologize for all the f bombs we dropped to you, please. You're you're you need to apologize for the amount of times we say yeah, fuck on this podcast. That's on you. You chose that. Yeah. We we but tell also, you we asked right you up. To do it. You know, we it asked you to like do it, that. and then you chose to do it. But it's still we need your apology to be our apology. Uh, so please God. share it. Please rate uh the podcast on Apple or like and subscribe on all of the platforms. Uh, YouTube is a good one as well. You can go on there. We got the video version of this podcast and uh we have some other videos on there as well and uh lizzie where else can they find us on the internet on tiktok and on twitter at x emo social club x you can also go on instagram that's just regular emo social club because we don't have to fight anybody for that normal handle we might on that one platform we could we could just do it for funsies and see how it goes you know just fuck around and find out the usual things <laughs> the kids do sorry to your mom again <laughs> Apologies for the the swearing and the violence on this podcast. <laughs> uh, I love it. Uh, you can also join us on uh, Saturday nights. We will be doing our DJ set 6 p.m. Chicago time, hanging out over on Twitch, uh, just jamming out to the vibes and the beats and the boops and the beeps. And uh, you can join us on Monday nights for Metal Gear Solid nights, video gaming, just gamers being gamers. Uh, and then we'll be back with more podcasts later. So, yeah. Emosocialclub.tv. Yeah, 
everyone's going to get some double batches soon because we have a lot coming up and uh, a lot of things now that at least Chicago's opening will be out and about. So we're going to have a lot of double batched content for everybody. So when you are commuting to your local show, hopefully that you are not hitting up and harassing somebody for guest list for. And that's very in bad taste, by the way. Just saying, just some general tickets. etiquette rules. Just buy the fucking ticket. It's probably like, what, 12 bucks? $25? You're fine. It's fine. You can listen to us while you're commuting there, though. That'd be, like, really sick. Um, you could also, while you're on the way there, and you're like, I'm feeling like I can spend everything. It's my big day out. You can also pre-order some of our new merch. That'd be a really sick idea. You can be, like, really in full effect this summer. Emailsocialclub.com slash store some new merch tank tops t-shirts new Good metal stuff. vibes new metal vibes you want to be ready for limp biscuit you have to be we're great at advertising <laughs> <laughs> without further ado here is our episode with mike demonte i'm hating the record button now we are currently recording and let's get into it welcome the Emo Social Club podcast, broadcasting to you live from EmoSocialClub.tv. I am Brian. And I'm Lizzie, and we're here this evening with author of the new book, Hey Suburbia, going through everything about emo and pop punk. We're with Mike DeMonte tonight. Thank you so much for talking with us. Thanks so much for having me. Um, I've done quite a few of these already and leading up to the promotion of the book, and it's so fun because it feels like I'm not doing an interview. I'm um, just talking about, you know, pop punk with friends so yep. it's always fun so i always love talking about this stuff and i've written books about ufos so it's nice to do a podcast that's not about <laughs> ufos it's nice to talk about that's... now rock and stuff, so. now we've tricked you because we're only going to talk about ufos <laughs> now this is this is an unfortunate trick we're actually the uh emo ufo podcast not uh no obviously not really we're going to talk about pop punk we may ask you a random question or two about ufos near the end because Tom DeLong cool. and the whole we'll, we'll, we'll correlate yeah. it we'll make it work uh <laughs> it'll it'll intertwine yeah. at a point but not the entire way <laughs> yeah. uh but let me give you a chance to introduce yourself talk about your background and talk about uh you know the book and all that awesome uh I'm Mike DeMonte I am a journalist and author and teacher based in Houston Texas um I got my start I got my start writing basically in high school I was on my school newspaper and then in college I worked for my college paper and um, I started working at night at the Eastern Chronicle doing uh, copy editing, and that turned into a full-time gig, copy editing and web producing. And on the side, I would, you know, write for sports and features. And, you know, we had two salary music writers, but they wouldn't really cover this music. So I kind of volunteered myself. Hey, I already work here. Um, I'll cover the show. I'll cover these bands. So I always consider myself the unofficial, like, punk rock like guy there, even though I wasn't, like, the salary writer. I was just a – I worked on the copy desk, but – I would cover warp tour and you know do all these all these you know all these uh punk rock shows and pop punk you know album reviews and stuff so that's kind of my background um through journalism and uh yeah so the book is something that really was you know years in the making just from all my experiences covering the scene because i did cover intensely for you know a very large market um very large uh, uh paper too as well so um yeah, so it's basically just, you know, all these years in the making, all these experiences, I've, all these interviews I've done, all the, you know, basically all my pop punk kid dreams came true, all the bands I was able to meet and interview and stuff. So really, I had so much of the, the, the meat of the book already kind of done, and it was just kind of play, piecing it all together. So yeah, that's my background. And uh, yeah. 
That's like crazy to think that, especially during that time frame, that you have these music journalists on staff and they're, I can't even imagine what type of music they were specifically covering. I mean, in Houston, Texas, I'm assuming country for the most part, (laughs) but to not include such like a big chunk of what's on that in the, on the radio during that era is like insane to me. So let me, let me rewind it a little bit. So during like the 99s and 2000s, uh, early 2000s, I was still in college. So like, you know, I was, I was graduated high school in 2000. So like I was still kind of early on in college. I really didn't start doing this up until probably 2003 for, for the University of Houston paper. And um, so how it works in college when you're majoring in journalism, they give you a beat and it's not something you want to write about. But in addition to that, you can do whatever you want. So I was grinding, writing about 10 stories a week on my technology beat. I was doing album reviews, covering whatever I could. Um, and then Basically, I was writing the, the life and art section, 90% of myself, because a lot of times in, in at the time, the labels were really marketing towards that college audience. So we were really able to get free tickets, free um, uh, free shows, you know, free merch. They sent all this stuff in to kind of entice you to cover them. And I remember I had a lot of great opportunities doing Warp Tour. I did that in college. Uh, my favorite interview of all time, getting to hang out with Tom Belange backstage at Angels and Airwaves and Weezer, that was for the college paper. And eventually I was able to do that again, kind of for the Chronicle as well. But um, yeah, so I had so many opportunities then. And then kind of when I went, you know, when I started working at the Chronicle around that time, I mean, the music was still popular. You know, it's a little bit past the boom, but none of these bands really, you know, died out in terms of popularity, you know, just because radio and MTV weren't playing them, which at the time radio and MTV was kind of dying down too, as the internet was, was growing. So um, yeah, just in general, you know, I remember, I think the first thing I covered for them was Newfound Glory. And then um, I think the biggest thing I did at the Chronicle in terms of for this scene, I remember when Blink did their reunion tour, I interviewed them and it was the front page story on the entertainment section. So um, they did re- they did realize that there's an audience for this music. Just, you know, the two other beat writers we had, one of them was doing like hip hop and pop. The other one was more like indie rock stuff. So there was an audience for it for sure. And I, I did cover it, you know, um, the best, you know, whenever I could, uh, but yeah, but so many opportunities, Warp Tour, um, so many, uh, I covered X Games when, uh, in Austin, I covered the year was where, when it was Kanye West and Bad Religion and Waves. And then when it was Blink and All Time Low. So like, those are some of the greatest experiences that I had in my, my life, not just professionally, but like personally, just really good times doing it. And, uh, to me, it never really felt like work, you know, the opportunity to interview, you know, Oh, I have to drive up to Austin. And I get to interview Blink backstage for free. Sure, or I get to drive <laughs> up to Austin and interview Milo Ackerman from The Descendants. Like that's like a bucket list thing, yeah. you know. Like, like I wasn't getting paid any extra money because I was already working there. So for me, it was like basically I'm getting paid with getting into the show for free and able to interview these these bands that I grew up, you know, worshiping. Remember. They don't do it like they used to. Honestly. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I, I mean, when I was running my college radio station, it was like we got some of those, but we, it was like pulling teeth at a certain point to get those bigger names. Mm-hmm. So to kind of understand how that kind of like has evolved <laughs> is like insane to me. <laughs> yeah. it, it was a different time, I think, in the early I'm trying to think when I was at U of H. I think it was like 2006. So it was, it was a kind, of, kind of a different time then, I guess, in terms of, of the music industry, but. I just remember, you know, not just, it wasn't just music, it was movies too. Like movie studios would send us stuff and, you know, we would get books, you know, from authors and stuff. So, yeah, I think it was a different time than as it was nowadays. I think the, the marketing budgets are a little bit different. The money's allocated <laughs> differently now. 
Yeah, they're like, we don't want these children here. Get them <laughs> out of here. <laughs> I mean, I imagine it's like with media changing, they're probably pushing it more to like online resources and those kinds mm-hmm. of things, more influencer marketing, maybe things like that, rather than that. I remember in high school, I hung out with all my friends on newspaper and they would always have like, remember specifically like the newest Kanye West CD, whatever year it was, I forget. I don't know many Kanye West records by name, but uh, I remember they got like a copy of it and we were just like hanging in there and it's like, yeah, we just get free CDs all the time. You want one? I'm like, yeah, it sounds great. <laughs> like how perfect. I don't even have to be on the newspaper. I just get to hang out in your office and listen to free CDs you get. I imagine they're not like uh, reaching out to school newspapers as much for Kanye West promotion anymore. <laughs> I think the amount of like I because I, I got asked this by a band they were like oh if we want to send to like college radio stations do we send a physical CD anymore and I'm like no play it's it a in? digital because at least at my college radio station what we did with the CDs that we didn't like which was a lot of them is we put them on the wall and glued mm-hmm. it and made it aesthetically pleasing yes. and I'm like well that's what's gonna happen you could be aesthetically pleasing but no one might listen to it. So depends on the vibe you're trying to go for in the end. Here at the Emo Social Club, we typically listen to the bops we grew up with. Yet, there's more music out there that you haven't even heard of. If you're into old school Demi Lovato, you know, the tunes that sounded like Avril Lavigne with a pop punk edge, or better yet, Paramore. Check out In The Morning and their new single, At What Cost. The song is available on all streaming platforms to jam out to immediately. While you have that playing in the background, browse through their merch on inthemorningla.com. That's morning like the thing you do when you're upset over that Tinder person disappointment. Not the other one you wake up to. Follow them on Twitter and Insta too at inthemorningla. Obviously taking all that information and then now I guess you've turned it into the... Do we say like the the the, the most comprehensive history of pop punk should we say that can we are we no, allowed to say that <laughs> i wouldn't even say that like i said you know, i wrote it as a guide um you basically get an overview of the the history and the scene and the roots of it too and that's really one thing i really wanted to connect was to the roots because i think it's important um for new, new people who are getting into the style of music to pick it up and you know look back and see who the bands that influenced the bands because it really is you know uh, I mean, I, I always talk about punk rock is one umbrella. And there's all these subgenres that hang from it. And you really can't draw the lineage. And one of the, the greatest quotes in the book was from Milo Ackerman from The Ascendants. Mm. And he said, you know, it was basically they never felt territorial about it. You know what I mean? Like when Green Day and Blink was coming up, because to, to him, it was the Buzzcocks and Ramones, then The Descendants, and then Green Day and Blink. So it's like he understands the lineage. So I think that that's really cool that, you know, a lot of the bands understand how it kind of worked, the evolution. And that's one of the things, you know, like I really wanted to uh, put home in the book because there is a nostalgic element to it for, for people like us who kind of grew up with the stuff. But then there's newer kids who are getting into this stuff now because maybe their parents or their older brother listens to it or, you know, or they, uh, Will Smith has a pop punk song or they like Machine Gun Kelly or whatever. So I think that was a really important part of the book is to kind of give you an overview. I wouldn't say it's the most comprehensive. That's why I kind of did it in a coffee table format. Mm-hmm. So it's really digestible. It's something you pick up and read and just kind of learn something while you're sitting on the toilet or waiting for, <laughs> you know, waiting for your friend to, to cook dinner or something. You know? I love that. 
I think it's interesting too because you have it and then you are talking about like these more legendary bands like you know the descendants and you like I I want to know what your perspective from like people who are like big like emo purists like those who are like I only consider rights of springs like real emo those types of people like (laughs) looking at it and then seeing this like not like glamorized but just more just put on you know a public display just say hey this is what it is because this is what's mainstream this is what's popular again and this is what the kids kind of like now have you had any like negative reception from those types of individuals at all especially because you have chris caraba from dashboard in there too so i'm like i feel like that's one of the bigger key players that people you know like to reference that's like an easier person to pick out for like the newer generation like people in my age range and like in like our 20s yeah, for sure. Um, not yet. I mean, I, I'm sure that will happen. Like, I have some friends like who are like emo purists, right? I remember I did I DJed an emo night once, uh, guest DJed it, and he came and it was like, he was just like ripping into the songs that we were playing. And it's like, <laughs> I'm sorry, but it's like you know these these kids don't know who um, you know who American football is or um, the Promise Ring, you know. So it's like they want to hear you know the use and my chemical romance and stuff like that. But it is really like you know like you you, you said it's really. You know, there was a time where, you know, like the gatekeepers, right? What's emo, what isn't? But God, it's the, the umbrella is just so big. And, you know, it's, it's hard. How can you tell somebody, listen to Jimmy World and take it back Sunday and say that that's not emo, you know? And then listen to an older band like the Promise Ring or, you know, the Get Up Kids. And, um, you know, some of the first, you know, I first started getting in this music and this was years ago. So just to give you guys some background, uh, originally from New York and we're moving from New York to Texas. In between, I lived in Pennsylvania for about a year. I had no friends except for this one guy. We would watch wrestling, play Dungeons and Dragons, like nerd stuff together. Hell yeah. And uh, <laughs> I remember when I moved, he gave me some CDs. And it was uh, Juliana Theory, Get Up Kids, you know, older emo bands, and Cheshire Cat by Blink. And I listened to all of them. And there's something about it that kind of like put a spark in my head. There's this energy to it. And I didn't know what to make of it. You know, it was one of those things. And you know, I'm older. I'm a, I'm a 90s kid. So, you know, growing up in the 90s, then I, you start hearing that stuff in alternative rock radio. You start hearing Offspring, Green Day, Blink. Um, I, first time I heard Dude Ranch, I'm like, oh, my God, this is the, the guys from that Cheshire Cat CD. And then my mind was blown, you know. So, um, yeah, but, you, you know, if you look at that era, you know, you also had No Doubt and Mighty Mighty Boss Tones. And so all these all these bands were, making, were crossing over. And then you, you kind of see in the 2000s happening with the emo bands, you know, with Jimmy World and, uh, saves the day and taking back Sunday and dashboard professional too. I'm glad that we're talking about some nineties stuff too, because I'm usually the <laughs> old one and everybody's yeah. like, yeah, I really like all these bands. Well, and I'm like, mm-hmm, yeah, I was, I was, I was old. Not today. I'm, I'm the old one today. So yeah, I mean, yes. Uh, and not to put you out there. I'm just like, yeah, thank you. <laughs> thank you for being old with me a little bit. Oh my God. <laughs> um, Emo night wise, like what are your, so, I mean, I, I've done one here too. We, we obviously are an emo podcast and, and I think that our primary focus has been on a lot of the, the early two thousands, the Mike hems, the used oh boy panic. And it's like, we're, we know that that's what it is now. And I feel like there's been this pretty long conversation about how that's what it is. Like, there is there is this argument, but it's like it's a it's a very vocal minority of people who understand that like 
the term has gone away from what it probably originally meant and now it means something else and it means this to a large amount of people and we just kind of have to accept it like that's just what it's been accepted as um but the emo night side of it and like doing events and then having like uh cover bands and I, i'm sorry if i said that with any attitude i had one and i'm like <laughs> the whole thing uh and like doing dj sets and all that like does it feel like that is still i guess i guess it, it it's something that could be gatekept but i start to feel like it's one of the reasons why a lot of people have started to get into it more going into these these new this I guess new decade like feels like in the past couple of years it's been like this resurgence of it the, the new pop punk wave the new emo wave all that like i feel like that's kind of the reason we got to it and like all this gatekeeping and all this nonsense like didn't really hinder that so like do you feel like that's that's where a lot of this comes from is all those nostalgia things or or yeah well, uh yeah to a degree i think you know having those emo nights you know just kind of just to introduce new people to it but also having you know older people relive those days and I mean, for me, you know, it's, it's all, it's you know, the best way to describe it. I tell people it's like the Warped Tour generation. Mm. Like the book is about the Warped Tour generation because so many of those bands, the emo bands, punk rock bands, pop punk bands, ska bands, metalcore bands, hardcore bands, they're all under that, you know, post-hardcore bands are all under that umbrella, you know, those subgenres of punk. And Warped Tour really kind of brought that together. So, you know, I, I know people just like to, you know, you know, put tags and genres on things. But I think kids nowadays really care less about genre. Um, in general, they just kind of like that fun and they may perceive emo as something different than, than we did, you know, but as long as they, they understood and they understand the roots and like the bands, you know what I mean? Like, because, you know, there was a you know, time when South Park even did an episode of it when it was like everyone thought the emo kids were goth yep. and vice versa. So it's like, <laughs> it really has become this cultural thing. Yeah. Oh, I remember that. I was so upset. Yeah. <laughs> I was like I was already not really a huge fan of South Park and then I was like okay why are you attacking me I don't even watch your show <laughs> upset and I want to know though because we there's so much like basis obviously that we're going through in this book but then you do like talk about MGK and like these newer artists that are coming out who are your some of like your personal favorite newer like emo pop punk acts that have been coming out recently you know, I was, I was talking about this earlier, like I really wanted to mention in the book, like some of these newer acts, because I feel like obviously, you know, you have the mainstream artists like Post Malone, Machine Gun Kelly, uh, Will Smith, um, who are kind of doing these songs now. So they're obviously spotlights on them. And there really hasn't been a band from the scene that's broke uh, really since all time low in terms of like mainstream. I think one to years was like on the cusp of it, but you know, they're, they're big and they're, you know, in a smaller setting, I guess, if that makes sense. But um, for me, you know, I look back and I'm like, man, there's tons of great bands and still making this music that aren't major label or aren't, you know, necessarily, you know, getting radio play, you know, cause a lot of these, like I said, all these pop artists are kind of co-opting the sound in a way. But, um, as far as newer bands, like I would say, you know, past few years, uh, Touche Amore, I'm really into, they're a really great hardcore band. Um, I listened to a band a couple weeks ago, Action Adventure. They were great. I think they, oh yeah, those are our yeah. buddies. I was gonna say, I saw they follow you guys on Twitter. I was like, I wonder if they know each other. Yeah, yeah. Um, we um we did a guest DJ night with them, oh, so cool. they're super yeah. cool dudes. And then I just uh, there's a band called Talk Show Host at Canada, really good. Hmm. Uh, really reminds me of like the Vagrant Records sound. So those are some of like the newer bands um, that I like. Uh, what else? I'm trying to think. Uh, a band called Salem, which is really cool. Hmm. It's the guy from Creeper, 
But he. Made... Oh my god, I love Salem. I love Creeper. <laughs> <laughs> I never, I never listened to Creeper ever. But I heard Salem. I'm like, man, this is like Aquiline True. I yeah. love it. Um, it's so. Did you listen to their their newest EP? Yeah. Yeah. It just hits. Yeah. I don't know. It just just keeps going. They know what we want. Yeah. <laughs> a dark pop on I mean, to that, and I'm like, I could totally picture Matt Skiba singing yeah. or writing this. Uh, but yeah, no, those are some like the new bands I've heard that I've liked. Um, like many older people, I just kind of like listen to like the older stuff. But I do know a lot of the new bands coming out, and I still do like a this little fun blog on the side for the Chronicle. It's called Miked, and I usually try to review like newer, smaller artists like that, like talk show host and. Uh, what are some of the other ones? I'm trying to, oh, uh, who else? Uh, Je- Jetty Bones. Mm-hmm. Oh, Jetty Bones. Jetty is Bones really good. is good. Uh, Hot Mulligan is good. Um, there's a lot of them. There's a lot of really rad new bands that are really bringing back kind of those, you know, those days of the early 2000s for sure. I kind of think I've been, I've been stewing on this for a while, Lizzie. I've been stewing on this. Uh-oh. And I'm like, oh, no. is this one of the best times in music in a lot like like in i i don't want to say ever i feel like that's really hard if you haven't lived through a lot of different situations and looking at like that's a really strong it's a very strong situation compared to like everything that's a that's real spicy if your musical education like mine was watching vh1 and mtv (laughs) and like like watching like you know docs on motley crew and it's like well i don't i don't know what the 80s were like i was like 15 watching docs on motley crew it's like i can't even comprehend what they were doing at the time i can't comprehend what the 80s looked like to a full-grown adult you know doing cocaine or whatever but (laughs) or whatever uh but like is it possible because it just feels like music right now is at the most like there are no genres there are no like uh uh barriers there are more people that look different there are more people that don't look just like me doing it you know and like it brings in all these other genres it brings in all these other types of people into what overall has been pretty homogenous and like creating like a new sense of music so like to me that kind of builds to like where i'm thinking is this one of the best times for music overall very hard to agree you don't have to agree (laughs) it's because like you know it's hard because i look at 1997 to um i would say 2004 it was like being the golden age for me mm-hmm. personally um like the 90s in general i think is the greatest era of music like the hip-hop was great the alternative rock was great punk punk broke twice during that time in 94 then again in 99 mm-hmm. um then that birthed the early 2000s which kind of gave us you know the warped Tour generation that you know went from the skate parks to the mall to to everywhere so it's like to me that's really the golden age um, of music for me personally just because uh, like i said you know 97 was god my favorite record of all time came out that year dude ranch and uh you know all those alternative rock bands and like the punk bands were play getting played side by side on the radio and it just it all sounded like it it, it, it worked next to each other nothing sounded out of place now like i said next thing you know three years later it's blowing up even more where you know uh, good charlotte's on trl and you know, you know, some 41s in like teen magazines. So it's like, it's just crazy to think <laughs> that, that it exploded like that again. But yeah, it was, it's more than just like the music, but it was really, you know, you felt like you're, you're, you're part of something. Mm-hmm. And that's when you're part of, you know, a music scene or just a scene in general. I think that's why so many kids kind of gravitated towards it because in the book, I kind of discussed various things that were going on in the world around that time that maybe influenced that too. But 
um, even to this day, you know, like, you know, when you go to those shows and see those bands, you know, it's, it, it really hasn't feel like, you know, much has changed, you know, kind of transports you back to that time and era. And it was really a special place for those people who, who grew up in that era or for those people who um, didn't grow up in that era, but like the music from that era. It's definitely a special, uh, special time. I agree with that. Lizzie, what do you think was the best era of music? <laughs> I think the era where I was a whole ass child. So the one that Mike was <laughs> I was born at the end of 94. Uh. I was like a baby. <laughs> so you were born when Green Day broke. There you go. You and Green Day. I, I'm like almost 95. I'm okay. that close to yeah. the border. So I, I was just hardly there. But I think during all that, because I'm like, this is like the music I love. Fall Out Boy is my favorite band. I love my chemical romance. I was able to see them in LA. Like, but I also love the Jonas Brothers. So like I have this weird melding with people with a lot of different music that I personally have listened to. And it's like, oh, I do listen to a lot of this music. And people are like, you're not old enough to have like lived it. I'm like, okay, but I want to feel like I did and understand it a little bit. Let me have it. <laughs> and, and that's great. I think that's that's part of I think what makes, you know, the like the emo nights and you know, podcasts like this. And I think it makes it special because you really you're, you're opening up that community you know, to, you know, to like newer, newer people. And um, yeah, I think that's, that's great. You know, there's obviously the gatekeeper part of it where you're like, Oh, uh, Post Malone and Halsey, whatever, they're co-opting this music. But then there's also, Oh, well, you know, if a kid discovers newfound glory because of that, or, or, you know, listen to a blank record or, you know, saves the day, well then cool, you know, mission accomplished. Or, you know, somebody listens to Haley Williams and they didn't know she was in Paramore, then they listen to Paramore. So it's, it's really, you know, it's kind of, it kind of goes back to, you know, the early days of like punk rock and pop punk. There was definitely that attitude about bands being on the radio, selling out, which no one, no one talks about that anymore. That doesn't really exist nowadays, but back then there was that attitude too, but it was ultimately, you know, it helped the community grow as a whole, you know, when, you'll get Epitaph Records. They became one of the largest independent records and Offspring became a major label band. Well, guess what? All those other bands then um, benefited from that on the label, Bad Religion, Rancid, et cetera. So it's like, it was really back then, you know, when their peers were getting bigger than some of the bands, everyone really benefited from it. And that's kind of, um, kind of grew that community. So like a lot of people who were, you know, you hear the sellout arguments that was mostly just coming from like magazines and like kids on message boards because it was, it was never really like that with the bands there's always a camaraderie and you respect even the bands that kind of you know surpassed some of the other bands you know that you know you never heard them really legit talk bad about each other it was mostly you know good and so there's definitely that punk rock sense of community and uh, i think you know it's nice nowadays that you really don't see that oh this band's a sellout or any any of that talk anymore I'm interested to like hear what your perspective is because this has been like a really widely debated topic this last like year since MGK came out with tickets to my downfall. Do you think that he and Travis Barker, obviously, because he's single handedly leading this, I yeah. feel in a way, uh, is that the true reintroduction of pop punk to this current mainstream to this new Gen Z era? Or do you think it would be another artist or band? Yeah that has championed it more well it's, it's hard because kids nowadays like my chemical romance mm. you know their their tour reunion tour sold out in like 45 minutes that's insane like the whole world like that's almost unheard of nowadays like taylor swift and drake don't do that mm -hmm. you know what i mean so like that says something um kids like paramore nowadays like kids like to them classic rock to them is like blank and green day so it's like they're so familiar much. with 
Yeah, they're familiar with these bands. You know, they are. They already know who they are. But I think having, you know, like artists like Machine Gun Kelly kind of like Ticket Time My Downfall is a great record, no matter what you feel about Machine Gun Kelly. And, but apparently he does have a pop punk background. Like Blink was his favorite band. Um, and it's like when I first heard that record and I saw Travis produced it, I was like, man, all all these these production tricks and songwriting tricks that Travis is doing, I wish you'd blink, bring some of those Blink songs. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. Damn those songs sound like Blink. And like, but if you look at it, he works with so many different artists and it could definitely be, you know, if you work with a hip hop artist, a hip hop artist listens to, you know, Blink or some of these other bands. Oh, you know what? This is actually pretty cool. Hey, let's do a song like that. So I think it's really, you know, part of it's his influence and he's a very sought after drummer and producer, but the people he's working with are like, Hey, let's do a song that sounds like this. And then, more, you know, like a lot of people believe that, you know, Travis's record label are bringing it back to the mainstream. And that's an argument. I, I can, I can see that side of the argument for sure. I think so too. Like you had mentioned, like just like rap and hip hop. So like Kenny Hoopla is another yeah. artist. He's like that. And Travis just did his entire mix, his yeah. newest mixtape EP with him. And I'm like, this is it. This is first of all, this is what I think Blink One Eighty Two should should yes. have been. It sounded like I listened to it. I said, this is what Blink One Eighty Two should be right now, and it's not. And Travis said, I'm going to do it for this kid because he has he has talent. He has he has everything ahead of him. And <laughs> I think with that too, it just opens up so much more because i know that like even my younger siblings they're really in a juice world and i didn't get into him until like come and go came out and then i started listening more and then obviously because of the whole yellow card suing juice world and his estate that, that whole happen. mess i'm like let me see what this really sounds like and i heard everything i'm like okay i get it i understand this like crossover that's happening and it's becoming so much more popular and it's just so cool to see like you said like there's just genre blending yeah. at this point and most people who like to you know listen to new music and take in that kind of information are really cool with it yeah. and i think that's just like so good for like the ecosystem of music <laughs> in general just to like bring in something fresh and new I in agree. that retrospect and, and, and culturally it's 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 not that different you know when you think about it like i was thinking earlier you know like you know one of the things i mentioned in the book is like how state culture went hand in hand with like pop punk and punk rock for years i mean for warp tour x games tony hawk soundtracks you know, but the kids would go to the shows or dressed up like little skater kids, you know, mm. and back in the day, back in the day, Sun was, you know, Hurley and uh, Volcom and Vans. Nowadays, you know, Sun is hundreds and, you know, Nike, you know, but it's it's like, you know, the hip hop culture is skate culture just as like punk rock culture is skate culture. So there's a lot of, you know, a lot of intermingling with these cultures to this day still. I went into Hot Topic recently and I was very disappointed. <laughs> Why I want okay. I went into Hot Topic and I was very disappointed. I went into Zoomies and I was very surprised. And I was like, wait, Zoomies is now selling like the clothes that I want to wear. Like whatever that is, you know, like I'm I'm old and I'm I'm not gonna wear like oh children's uh, you know, weird dark clothing, but I did. I did. What you don't want your trip pants? I don't. Back? I don't want trip pants back. Okay, <laughs> that's that's really upsetting for you. No, I'm sorry that you're at that time. Look, in your life. I, I stand by this. <laughs> uh, I will say I did buy an anime T-shirt at uh, at Zoomies because I like anime and I like wearing anime T-shirts. <laughs> but it's true. It's like now, like the I think that with with everything else is like the fashion and and the interests and the 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 things that people are passionate about are kind of evolving too. And like the, the fact that people are getting interested in other things and then kind of bringing that back into the music side of it. And then the music is 
growing because of that and then it's bringing more into those cultures it's like yeah it's very like a, it's, it's a melting pot i guess for lack of a better metaphor <laughs> not my favorite metaphor but i'll use it for this one i guess it's like kind of that that melting pot of like everything coming together all culture all media like kind of swirling around and creating this new pop punk emo thing and hip-hop and and everything else i guess that works. Yeah. <laughs> it works. It tracks to an extent. I mean, like reading the section that you have in the book called New Americana, where you kind of compare and contrast like R&B and blues to like emo and pop punk with like a lot of the different like themes. I'm like, I've never really thought about that. I think that was just like a really interesting thing to point out because I know a lot of people like myself included, I don't listen to too much of that type of older music, but I can definitely hear and understand and like if i looked up to lyrics to any song i'd be like oh yeah that's like it's pretty fucking sad (laughs) well yeah i thank you thank you for that by the way thank you for appreciating that part of the book but for me you know listening to like a band like taking back sunday like progress through the years and like you hear them like man this is and like jimmy world they just sound like good american rock bands Mm -hmm. where like you know if this was like the 80s i you know i i think they'd be opening for like springsteen back then Mm -hmm. you know i mean and like you look at a band like the Gaslight Anthem, who did get to open for, for, for <laughs> yeah. Springsteen uh, as well. So yeah, to me, it's like there's really a lot of parallels between this, you know, this music and the music that's been being made for the longest time. You know, the emo music and pop punk music. It's really not too different in terms of um, content. I, I just think there's a, an authenticity to it that makes it special. It really reminded me there was this um, I think it was through Gimlet on Spotify. They did this special little series called Murder Bellas, and it actually was one of the newer like Spotify radio shows when they first came out with it. And one of them that stood out was like looking at all these ballads that originated like the 1800s specifically and like the Wild Wild West, basically. And they looked at the one song in the Pines that Kurt Cobain covered from Nirvana and they played like the the original one of some an older recording and then they played the nirvana version and it's like okay we can hear like these different things going on it's like obviously it's a very sad very devastating story and then you also hear it told in a newer way and they also had other country artists who were on there who did their own interpretations of it and i'm like okay that's also another way to like see it all across the board because i think also in like 20 to 50 years what if you know obviously people do covers of all these songs now like what if somebody was like, oh, I'm going to do my own interpretation of like Helena by My, my Chemical Romance. And it's something like completely wild and different, like say a completely different genre. And then we're like, oh, yeah, like that sounds cool. I vibe with that. I get it. It makes sense to my ears, even though like usually wouldn't. I just think that that's such a cool like divergence. Yeah, I think that's the mark of good songwriting where it could be covered in different ways. Like you look at like, you know, Woody Guthrie, like this land is your land. It sounds like a punk, like Anti-Flag has covered it. But it's like, look at the lyrics. That sounds like a punk rock song. It mm-hmm. really does. There's a protest element to it. Um, but yeah, like, you know, you were saying, like, there's there's guys like Alex Melton. I don't know if you guys ever listen to his yep. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and he, he crushes it on these country covers and or, you know, if this band wrote it to sound like this. And uh, we're just hearing, like, ukulele versions mm-hmm. or, like, um, what is it? Uh, mariachi versions of, like, these songs. It's, just, <laughs> it's great. And that's a mark of a good songwriter. Like, mm-hmm. I also like, you know, other music outside of this. Like, I love Taylor Swift, and I listened to Taylor Swift's song, and I was like, man, if this song was covered to be, like, a punk rock song, it'd be so rad. But that's just, like, a good mark of, like, good songwriting, and I think that speaks volumes to 
the songwriting and emo and, and pop punk. The fact that, you know, like you said, someone can cover Helena five years from now, make an electronic song or a country folk song is still, is still as good. I think that's, you know, that's just a mark of good songwriting. Fucking love Taylor Swift. <laughs> <laughs> do you think like with that like because obviously alex melton does like the country covers and i think for us i mean we're in chicago and country is not a huge thing here i guess i mean i know it's a huge it's a huge genre it does numbers and there are people that really like it uh but in chicago it's obviously like you know there's there's a stigma i'm speaking to you from houston and i'm sure that there's like way more country bars it's you more know. folk it's more folk yeah. up here. they're like no 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 i am not yeehaw it's, no it's folk. it's, it's like, all right let's bring it back i've let's been bring to it back. multiple I mean... bars where they only have like country bands play like my friends have worked there and all that and i'm like okay well this is a, a yeehaw good time right here and like in chicago <laughs> it's like that's how we kind of feel about it but then him taking all these these emo songs and making them country I think for us in Chicago, we're kind of just like, yeah, that's goofy. Like, no one really, you know, like, whatever. You're not really going to do that, right? It's just like a joke. Yeah, it's goofy. But, like, is there, uh, is there that inroad for country in, I guess now we're going to talk about a Data Remembers record, but it's like, oh, no. it's like bringing <laughs> in that, that country influence, too, with all the other influences that have come in. Like for us here, I don't think that we've really seen a lot of country influence in the same way we've seen everything else. Well, I mean, like in terms of like pop punk and punk rock, you know, there's there's kind of like some, you know some of the rockabilly elements and a lot of the bands who incorporated like folk and stuff. So I think you know you kind of strip down you know what does punk rock mean, what is it supposed to sound like, but you know there's so many different artists who really you know conventionally don't do that. You know, even like the early punk rock bands like the Clash and the Damned. They were experimenting from from the start, you know. Then you have artists like Frank Turner, who has a punk rock background, who plays Turner. this really upbeat, catchy folk music, you know. And then you have, you know, the, you have like Joey Cape from uh, from Lagwagon, whose solo stuff is very folk and acousticy. So yeah, I think there's definitely different sides to these artists, and you know, like some of the, some of like the really good punk songs sound great acoustically, you know. So I think there's there's definitely an audience for you know for folk and this style of music and any type of crossovers for sure. Do you rather hear more country influences or more butt rock influences? Because I feel like you can go either way. Uh, probably country, I guess. I don't know. Like, see, like, the thing is, I, I live in Houston, but Houston's such a big city. Mm. It's like hip-hop is huge here. Yeah. Like, country is, like, big in Texas, I guess, but it's not like, I don't know, like, hip-hop is, like, the thing in, in Houston, for sure. Gotcha. I mean, I'm a big butt rock fan. I don't. I don't know if I want. I don't know if I wanted that on recording. I'm sorry that that is now permanently you, out there. You made that statement all on your own. Yeah, no, you I provoked look, your own self. The opinions and uh, things said by me are the opinions and things said by me. That's that's the only person saying it. But I do think you, like you have to be the adult in this situation. Look, you are. I have heard a lot of people slandering new metal lately, and I will not stand for it because I think that it is bad on purpose, and that's why you love it. And butt rock. Dude, I went back in and I listened to the corn uh, follow the leader. Yeah, like a few months ago for the first time in forever. And I was like, man, this album is like still great. Yeah, look, <laughs> there is some there's some good stuff there. Like Limpus gets playing festivals this summer. There's yeah. obviously a market for it. They're trying to bring back new metal. They're trying to bring back everything else. And like thinking like like the country side of it is like for us, you know, Lizzie Octane Radio. It's like you know you got like 
all the butt rock bands that are appealing like to the same kind of uh the same kind of people the same kind of markets so you're like yeah you got to go like uh a day to remember and you end up being more like country you go like i guess asking alexandria and you end up more butt rock (laughs) nothing but rock (laughs) oh god i don't know there's got to be alex melton has to get on the uh the butt rock uh cover train now see how that goes i think it's really just you trying to bring back butt rock like a little (laughs) bit too hard like i heard when i was listening to octane Octane this afternoon on my drive (laughs) um i turned it on i heard the the classic violins you hear any good old skillet song and i said they're all right that's that is still trucking and still happening even though everything they've done and uh said this past year Well, guys, it's summer and it's so hot here in Chicago and probably wherever else you are. So that means it's tank top season. It's hot girl summer. And we have some merch that's definitely going to satisfy that for you. We have the Suns Out Stay Inside t-shirt and tank top in white and black that you can pick up from us up for pre-order right now on our site at emosocialclub.com slash store. Or if you're more into that Limp Biscuit new metal 90s vibe, we have you covered too because we have our logo shirt in that design as a black tank top or a t-shirt. And listen, you can always crop it. Also, just pre-order these. These will be shipped out relatively soon, sometime in early July. So get on it at emosocialclub.com slash store. Besides the point, but how do you feel? Um, I know on TikTok... There has been a huge trend right now going with fly leaves all around me. People just like just discovering fly leaf and then figuring out that they're Christian rock and then finding out more about fly leaf and the whole Lacey Sturm thing. How do you do you feel like there's going to be any type of like second wave of like Christian rock coming back with this new wave of like pop punk in the mainstream? Well, I have no idea. Um that that was a thing finally i didn't even know finally was a christian band nor was were, a tiktok they were heavily thing. <laughs> i just i remember though finding like tooth and nail back in the day was like a christian label mm-hmm. i think and no one really knew about that yeah and like you had bands like relying k and mxpx and a lot you know a lot of times it wasn't really overt in their lyrics you know i think um and mxpx today's another day says something like god is great or something um but you know it was it was cool because you could see mxpx play alongside bad religion and everything was cool mm. you know um, you did see a little bit division, a culture clash, kind of like, and I mentioned this in the book, when I talk about Warped Tour, when you have like Fat Mike for no effects, like bullying, like you're joking around with like Under Oath. Yeah. And, uh, you know, some of those other bands. And there's a great thing. I think I mentioned it too in the book. Uh, Fuse did this like Warped Tour, um, like documentary series, and they had a Bible study. Mm-hmm. And it was like, you know, so many of these bands you didn't think were Christian. And Fat Mike for no effects shows up and just to kind of ask questions. And I think he was surprised because some of these like, not wussier bands, but some of these like, you know, softer pop punk bands came up to him and said, Hey man, like no effects is the reason why we play music. So I think that really kind of shows the, the, the coming together too. you know, like, Hey, yeah, this, this generational divide between these old punkers and these new kids who are, you know, Christian and writing, you know, safer music, but there's obviously, you know, still a, a common ground and, you know, as well. So I think that's, that's fascinating too. Remember that being such a rough time, like, Hearing all the reports from Warped Tour, like AP Magazine and all that covering it, like 
yeah, there's like this big beef between Under Oath and Fat Mike and then Under Oath. Right. Like, I think that was right before they they ended up going on hiatus and then they came back and were like, yeah, we're really not like the same kind of Christian band. Like we've all had our different experiences since the band broke up and like went all these different ways. And I'm like, damn it, no effects. Look what you did. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the band. I think that's just Fat Mike's always been like a, a ball buster. Yeah. Like, even like the he's always been friends with like some 41 but he always had kind of make jokes with them and uh in their book you know they were a little you know when blink made it big they were a little kind of not, not jealous but you know they they were friends with them but they're like man this band sounds just like us and they make jokes just like us and you know how come we're not as big but no effects and not making a lot of money anyway you know fat mike you know with the fat records and everything so i think it's partly him you know what i'm saying nowadays you wouldn't see that as much you know that playful um ribbing of, mm-hmm. of bands yeah i think you wouldn't see that nowadays but um looking back i mean it was really interesting times on those warp tours you know having you know no effects under oath and some of those, some of those other bands just kind of having gutter mouth and having these all really offensive punk rock bands playing next to these kids who you know just discovered the style of music you know probably five five or six years prior to playing the shows you know yeah I think if you said it now, it would just like trigger a bunch of like discourse on the internet. Yeah. I feel <laughs> the only other band that I've seen do it and it's gone like pretty well because they're just so like just talking out of their ass because they're so funny is like Heart Attack Man and Hot Mulligan. Mm. Like they kind of go back and forth. Like every time I see them tweet, I'm like, all right, I get it. And then when I see Water Parks also do kind of the similar thing, but they just do it in all caps. And then it just makes <laughs> me like, please do it in normal. Do it in normal lettering. Do not do it in all caps. You are not Jimmy. You're in a mindless self-indulgence. Please step back and reevaluate yourself, my guy. I mean, I think in general, there's, there's you know, there's a, there's a camaraderie amongst kind of these bands and, you know, Warped Tour really, Kind of brought that together for a while, even though there was kind of generational divides. And one of the things I did cover in the book too was, you know, Warped Tour wasn't perfect. They made mistakes with some of the people they booked. Um, and, you know, it's one of the reasons why I wanted to, you know, get uh, Warren Women, interview them because they're a feminist punk rock band who was basically in response to them booking Front Front Porch. Uh, what was that guy's name? Front Porch, Front Set Porch, whatever his name mm-hmm. was. And yeah, you know, yeah, some, the, the creepy guy. Yeah, <laughs> some of these metalcore bands that like really didn't get it. You know, like they didn't understand the scene and the tour and basically just rock stars you know these rock star attitudes and they're they're basically on the wrong tour in my opinion yeah i'm really glad that that's changing in the culture yeah i'm really glad yeah i think think it's great that you know kids nowadays are just kind of more woke to this stuff you know like um and bands are bands are too so i think that's really cool that it's a safer place for for kids to go to shows and for everyone to go to shows too which is really cool because ultimately you know this type of music is all inclusive anyway mm-hmm. uh, and you're singing yeah I, mean, I go ahead, go ahead. no you go ahead you're, no, you're, you're singing, no, you go you go uh i mean there's so many more bands now that you see more representation and diversity uh we are the union is a ska band that has you know people of color and, and trans people and so that's really cool that you're seeing, you know, I think that really started with, you know, Laura Jane Grace, you know, from Against Me, when she kind of came out and that's really snowballed and as well. So I think, you know, you're seeing a lot more inclusion and, and representation too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. There was always a thing like with pop punk. I remember like showing some people, some of my friends who like weren't super familiar with the genre when I was an undergrad and I'm like, this is a really inclusive scene and like compared to like, you know, the indie rock scene where I feel like they're a little bit more like I knew this band before you and like they, they really push it. But in pop punk, it's like, oh, no, it's just for 
everybody like it doesn't matter if you just know the bangers like if you just know the bangers that's cool people are still going to be cool with you and like show you new music if you're into it and just accept it uh, but you know when you talk about it then you actually see you're like well they're just like a bunch of white dudes <laughs> from the suburbs who hate their mom they just yell at them all the How time that's not really me. inclusive but <laughs> <laughs> but now i see now, now in the last like five or so years like it's opening up so much more substantially and I think, you know, being able to one highlight in the book and then also just have it consistently tracking in the mainstream right now. It, it's just such a good like collision to finally see it actually happening and like actually resonating with what the kind of overall like unspoken ethos of like pop punk kind of is. And I think a lot of these bands are just, you know, they're younger, younger bands who were influenced, influenced by that music. Now they're, you know, they're making music and you're seeing kind of more of that nowadays in general. And I think it's great that you're seeing more younger bands kind of gravitate towards picking up a guitar as opposed to, you know, Pro Tools. <laughs> I was that kid who was Not like... Not everyone can be Skrillex. Yeah, <laughs> I wanted to be. Like, I was like, right around the time where I was like, I'm going to be in a band, I'm going to sing for a band, and we're going to be like this. And then it was like, I want to say like 2009, 2010, where it's like all of a sudden EDM starts picking up and I'm like... I'll learn how to produce like I'll do some dubstep and I started like learning how to do that but I was like still in a metal band so I'm like I'll just do this combined and it was I'm I I'm gonna say it I think I was ahead of my time and uh no one else thought that uh because we were just an Enter Shikari ripoff and uh we broke up soon after so you know hey Enter Shikari is I think that's a band that's like ahead of their time like Mm -hmm. first time I heard them I'm like man I um like when you hear the pitch, like, oh, this is going to sound awful, but they make it work. They really do. Um, and, like, their new stuff is just so atmospheric. You know, like, it sounds like you're watching the soundtrack to, like, Black Mirror. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what I feel when I listen Absolutely. to that band. <laughs> oh. um, no, like, like when I, I heard them years ago. I think when I was in college, I think. And I was like, this should not work. I should hate this. You know, <laughs> it, it, it works. And it's actually really good. Yep. The way they, they mix, like, arena rock, you know, dance music, hardcore, and, like, punk. And it works. Yep. <laughs> I couldn't have said it better myself. I'm like, no, this works so well. They're one of my favorite bands, so I'm I'm happy to talk a lot about it. <laughs> but then I'm like, I listen to like Bring Me the Horizon now, and I'm like, ah, this is what I wanted to do in 2012, and I couldn't do it. Nobody wanted me to do it. People were like, we played a show once, and they like, so you have to have tracks behind you. You have to have like the music playing, like all the electronic parts behind you, because we're not playing fucking weird synths on stage, right? And we were playing this metal show. So like, we're the only band that has synths in our shit. And like, of course, everybody in the venue is like these, these metal purists, which is just awful to be around. And they're like, <laughs> yeah, they, uh, they definitely had like all the music tracked. Like they weren't actually doing anything real on stage. Meanwhile, like both of our guitarists brought like two half stacks. So it's like, why would we bring all this shit just to like not play any of it? They they gave us like it was like a competition to play South by Southwest and we ended up getting last place and I was like, fantastic. Oh <laughs> uh, that was one of the worst uh, times of it. Uh, I want to ask because obviously you released this as a book and a lot of like the content that I'm receiving about like the history is primarily from YouTube. Was there like a conscious effort to go more of the the book route? rather than doing like another uh, media route, I guess. Uh, is there a reason that you did it that way? Even as a journalist, I know obviously as a, as a writer, it's probably your strong point, but uh, yeah. was there another reason like you went with the book side of it? 
Uh, yeah, as a writer and a journalist, you know, writing's my strong point. I don't feel like, you know, I can do video, but I don't feel like having to build that audience again. And I just, you know, I'm old school. I like having something physical in front of me, you know, and I really thought it'd be a great way. Cause like when I first started writing the book, it really took different uh, directions before it went up being a coffee table book in terms of, you know, what it's going to look like, how this is going to, you know, how am I going to tell this story? Um, how am I going to, you know, incorporate elements to it that make it, you know, easy, easily digestible. So it really was going to be a book all along. Um, and, you know, there's many people in the scene who, you know, have been covering this music as well. Uh, Scott Heisel, I, I got him in the book too. Um, he should write a book about this stuff one day. Uh, Dan Ozzy has a book coming out in October called Sellouts, which is about the yeah. major label debuts of these huge pop-up bands. And I can't wait for that um, as well. So I think it's pretty cool that, you know, um, so many uh, journalists and authors are, you know, writing about this stuff still to this day and are still interested in this. But yeah, for me, I always want it to be a book because uh, reading's important. Reading's fun. <laughs> um, reading's great. Yeah. Reading's great. But yeah, no, like I said, I, I like something tangible. And when I uh, came up with the idea to make it a coffee table book, I, I reached out to Cassie Potash, who did the artwork because mm -hmm. uh, I, I wanted to work with her years ago. I did a young adult uh, fiction book and I wanted her to do the cover. Things just didn't work out. Uh, but this, she was like perfect for it. And, you know, for those at home are unfamiliar. She's done stuff for Census Fail, Less Than Jake, um, kind of so many, Seaway, uh, uh, who else? I know she did one for Sum 41, I Some think. Sum 41, too. like, oh, she's done like, based almost every, any band you could really think of, any of like the newer bands, she's done so much of their stuff. And she has such a distinct style and aesthetic to her. So when she came aboard to do the cover, I was like, well, let's do a little bit more. And it all kind of came together. And, you know, I wanted to put in essential playlists and um, uh, compilations and, and film guides. And I wanted to be kind of inter interactive so people can, you know, just kind of pick it up and then be conversational too, you know? Mm -hmm. So I wanted to tell the story, but I also had breaks in between, you know? So there's, that's why there's like bonus content in the book. And, you know, there's a day in the life of a tour manager when I shadowed my friend Jeff to see what that's like. So I really wanted to, you know, incorporate, and then there's a testimonial section too, where I had people behind the scenes and people in the band write something about, you know, uh, a specific part of that era too. So I really wanted to incorporate a lot of different things to make it, like I said, something conversational and engaging and immersive. Did you guys know that we have our own TikTok? It's at X Emo Social Club X, and we put a lot of different cool things on there, from random train dancing videos to previews of our upcoming podcast episodes and anything else in between. And also make sure you're following us on our YouTube channel as well, Emo Social Club, to search it in the search bar. We have some really cool videos coming your way. Brian is making really cool adult beverages that you can make at home. I decided to make it an emo cocktail. So this one's called the Alone This Holiday by Muse. And I'm going to teach you how to make your favorite coffee from your equally favorite bands. The new Spear Box Coffee. We're gonna want to do 25 to 30 grams. All the coffee comes together, all the flavors are spread up. So keep on listening and follow our other social pages. Oh, and make sure to join the club. I think that's interesting. Well, especially, I know we didn't want to bring it up, but because you are also a Feel UFO like journalist to. as well, you did <laughs> have a book about punk rock and UFOs. So obviously there's, you're melding it all together. And I think that's really interesting. Now, I have not read that book, but I am also very much into that personally. <laughs> I don't know about Brian. That's on him. 
But <laughs> I was like, well, this is really cool to kind of see these two worlds come together. So how exactly was that process in general? And then kind of navigating over to just saying like, here's just here's some background info about pop punk and emo. Enjoy it. So, you know, so years ago I wrote uh, a book, uh, punk rock and UFOs. And it was the first one, cryptozoology meets anarchy. And it was basically about how these studies of cryptozoology and ufology were underdog sciences. And I wrote another one called true believers. Uh, it's a bouncing souls reference basically about the people who investigate this stuff and why it's important. And then Stranger Than Fiction, Bad Religion Reference. Mm -hmm. That was the last one I came out with last year. Um, and that's basically my, the, the encompasses all my UFO work. Um, Cause it's something I've been, a, uh, you know, interested in since I was a little kid, you know, it was really fascinating to me. So Stranger Than Fiction really, punk rock UFO, Stranger Than Fiction really kind of, the goal of that was to normalize paranormal using current events uh, comic book mythology, real life mythology, pop culture, religion, uh, science, et cetera. And I really had a diverse group of people I interviewed for it and got quotes from. I got, I got Tom Melange in the book. I got um, scientists. I got people who used to work for NASA. I got um, ex-military ex officials who witnessed stuff. I got people who work for Hollywood who make these films, um, as well as other UFO research. So, so that was basically, that's the idea of punk rock and UFOs. My website is punkrockandufos.com and I kind of continue doing UFO stories here and there when I can too. I mean, now that everything is, is, you know, in the news and in the media, now it's like this big thing. It's mainstream, just like when punk rock became mainstream, yeah. you know? Is it, so. is it, is are should I be nervous? Should I be worried? Is this something no. going to happen? <laughs> no. <laughs> I really feel like if if UFOs were like Mars attack UFOs, we'd be done by oh, now. Like, it would yeah. be already over. I really feel like that's my that. fear. That's that's what I'm most afraid of. I, I think, think it would have already happened. Hopefully, I think it would have already happened personally. Okay. <laughs> I've just been having like just because it's in the news. I've been having a lot more conversations about it lately, and now it's like, you know, you start with the conversation where everybody says it's impossible that they don't exist. Like there's just it's just they have to exist. And then it's like having a conversation from that point. But then from that point now, the conversation is going in so many interesting places yeah. that I'm just like, wait, so what do we do now? <laughs> like, what, is, what am I supposed to know? And if we have, you know, an author, an expert, I'm like, should I be nervous? Should I be worried? Is there anything I need to do? No, you're good. <laughs> All right. They don't want me. <laughs> so I want to make sure we have a chance to let you plug yourself, plug where everybody can find the book, find you on the internet find more information about everything and uh, we'll keep talking for a little bit here and, yeah. and on Twitch afterwards. Yeah. So uh, I'll let Let's you do that going. and we'll keep it going. Yeah. So punkrockandufos.com. Um, yeah. That's where you can follow me and my books are on there. I've written five books. Obviously the newer one is, is Hey Suburbia. Um, and ultimately, ultimately the goal for this book was to, you know, serve two purposes, you know, uh, I'm a big fan of nostalgia. So it was definitely a nostalgia driven project but also for people who are newer to the style of music to pick it up and kind of learn the history too so it really is to, is to serve kind of two groups of people you know older people like myself and, and then younger people who are you know maybe their you know maybe their older brother you know or older sister got them into fallout boy or something and then they go back and you know learn a little bit more so yeah that was the goal of the book and um, i'm hoping everyone's enjoying it so far and yeah thank you absolutely of course we also I did see too when when the book came out it it would it sold pretty well on, on like Amazon I think right it was like one of the number one bestsellers yeah like it blew my mind like it was for 
a couple of days, it was number one in a, in a specific category, which is like music encyclopedias. I don't know what that's what number wise that looks like. I'll probably have a better idea when I get royalties in six months. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, I was really blown up, really blown away by that. And like, there are people like who are involved in the book that helped out like here or there, like, you know, some of them would like retweet it. But like, yeah, I, I just don't know uh, what happened. Uh, I think that's a good thing. But I like, for example, uh, Dylan Anderson, who runs, he used to run Atticus Clothing. He does Mark Hoppus's clothing line. He interviewed me for Mark Hoppus's uh, website. So I think that that was a big push, just having that on HiMyNameIsMark.com. Hi, that was really rad. And then just having a few other people maybe retweet it here and there. And who knows, maybe there's just a, an appetite for this style of music. And, you know, it's Alkaline Trio, pun intended. Maybe it's the right place at the right time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... So I know Blink is your favorite band, I'm assuming. And yeah. and I mean, favorite bands for me always like kind of move around and shift and all that. So, you know, fair. And obviously now with, you know, Matt Skiba in or out or whatever, and we already kind of talked a little bit of like bring that bring that back to Blink. Like, are we just are we just are we just mad at Blink now? Or are we just hating on Blink in all the oh new No, no. I, I so the new stuff's pretty good. It's 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 decent. Um, and Aquiline Trio is my second favorite band. Mm-hmm. Uh, my first tattoo I ever got was an Aquiline Trio tattoo. And I'll defend Matt Skiba until the cows come home. He is the nicest person I've ever met or interviewed in music. Um, I've interviewed him multiple times, met him multiple times. He is a legit nice dude. And he doesn't deserve any of the hate that's kind of thrown at him, you know, from someone like the, the, the Blink community. Um, I will say this. If the people who don't like the Blink songs and Matt Skiba, they really need to go back and listen to Aquiline Trio's back catalog and say, hey, this guy's a really good songwriter. Um, because Matt Skiba is a really good songwriter. Yes. And he's a good dude. If it wasn't for him, Blink wouldn't exist right now. So um, I was talking about this on another podcast today. It's like, you know, with, with him, God, they've, they've done so much cool things, you know, in terms of touring and um, cool things at shows, like meet and greets. And, you know, um, yeah, just a, little, a lot of cool things that, that they, they've done with the, the Matt Skiba era. You know, like I said, they, they tour constantly. They, they're putting out music, so uh, it's it's a good time to be a fan of that band. And even even Aquiline Trio, their last record they came out with really really shocked me. The mm-hmm. fact that on the side he just wrote this Aquiline, him and Dan wrote this Aquiline Trio record, and it was really good. Yep. Um, as well, so yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing you know new music from you know both of those bands you know, next year. I think Matt Skiba posted on Instagram this like demo he was doing on uh, for Aquiline Trio, and it was uh, like how we used to. And it sounded amazing. I was like, oh, I hope this becomes an Aquiline Trio song. Go back and find it if you guys haven't heard it. It's on his Instagram page, and it just sounds like the perfect Aquiline Trio song. I'll have so. to go check that. I'm a, a, I'm a huge yeah, Aquiline Trio stan, so I'm, I'm always, like, surprised when we'll talk about Aquiline Trio. Like, yeah, just, you know, Aquiline Trio, they're one of these bands. They're huge. They're well-loved. You know, they're, they're a big band in Chicago. They, like, headline Riot Fest all the time. Yeah. And then a bunch of people are just like, yeah, I haven't listened to them. And I'm like, going on what's, what's happening <laughs> i don't know how to do there's it there's so many people in this scene who are like oh yeah i never listened to them or like yeah i, I heard them here and there and it's just like it blows my mind because yeah. for me when i first heard them it sounded like you know newfound glory and blink but there was something deeper and darker to it mm-hmm. almost poetic and i was like man these guys are doing something on a different level um kind of like when bad religion came out lyrically bad religion was doing something on a different level so yeah i, I never got that you know the fans are like, oh yeah, I love Pop Punk Nemo, but I never got into Aquiline Trio. I'm like, how? 
Like, how did you get into Blink? Like, let's just say the Untitled era when they released Crimson and that. It's like, how did you get yeah. into Blink's Untitled? How did you get into AFI Sing the Sorrow, but you didn't get yeah. into Crimson? Like, how yeah. is that the one that flew under the radar? I mean, as somebody who, if yeah. flew over my <laughs> Lizzie, head, this it question's was just for you. my friends, none of my friends in high school, even in undergraduate, <laughs> none of them listened to Alkaline Trio. Like, I only started listening to Alkaline Trio when um, Brian and I started to, like, moreover just like work together which was like what three and a half four yeah. years ago and then i really love if if this thing's cursed and then i got into it i'm like oh this is a really good band yeah. but like none of my other friends like literally when they did their like their what three four nights at metro mm -hmm. i think brian i think you brian you were just going but i didn't want to like crash your party or whatever but like i had no other friends i could go with if i wanted to if i i didn't want to go alone because i felt like weird about it but like I had no friends who like <laughs> ever listened to Alkaline Trio, and still a lot of those friends have still never listened to Alkaline Trio. And like I'll talk to some of their older siblings on cool. They're like, yeah, I, I kind of listen to them, but just not a lot. And I'm like, this is so weird. So my, my uh, yeah, yeah, that blows my mind. My so the song my wife and I danced to at her wedding was "Every Thug Needs a Lady" Hell yes. acoustic. Hell yes. Um, and uh, I remember this. This is funny. So. This was 2019, and then it was like that the next summer or whatever, whatever it was. Blink did their um, Enemy of the State tour, and my wife's never met them, so we did like the meet and greet. Mm. And uh, I was like, "Hey, hey, Matt, um, you know, we, we danced Aquan Trios. Every Thug Needs a Lady with our wedding song." And Mark Hoppus thought that was the coolest thing. He's like, "Matt, did you hear that? Whoa, like that's so cool!" <laughs> like he did, he was like, "Well, that was cooler than like Matt Skiba did." I thought that was that was that was funny. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to spread the gospel here about Alkaline Trio. So if you're listening to this podcast, if you're watching us on Twitch, go listen to Alkaline Trio, get acquainted with all of it. Uh, and and before you do that, make sure you go get the book, A Suburbia, from all of the, the best retailers, I guess, whichever whichever retailer you use. Usually we say like Spotify and Apple Music for a band, but it's like, no, now you got to go to like Amazon. No, put on Spotify in the background yeah. while you yeah. listen to Alkaline Trio, order the yeah. book, and then read the book with it playing in the back. It all comes together. Perfect. It's actually a Spotify playlist based on the playlist in the book, too. Perfect. So you can oh, there we go. Look it up and listen to the playlist while reading the book. Yeah. We'll link that uh, in the show notes of the pod so you can check all that good stuff out. Uh, go follow on all the social medias. Hey, Suburbia, Mike DeMonte, all the, all the places. Um, yeah. Thank you so much, Mike, for being on the podcast. This is actually uh, yeah, thanks, really dude. enlightening. I'm like, I'm really glad to have your opinions on a lot of this stuff because I'm like, yeah, older people, we get it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, guys, thank you again. Like I said, I, I, I really like these opportunities to talk about this stuff. And anytime you guys want to have me back to talk about anything else, let me know. I'm down. Absolutely. Of course. Thank you for checking out this episode of the Emo Social Club podcast. Sounded really professional there, I think. Maybe. There you go. Know. Look at you. Remember, if you like it, please share it with somebody. Please let somebody know about it. If you're interested in Mike DeMonte's book, you can go and buy it at the links in the episode notes. You can also go on Amazon and search Hey Suburbia by Mike DeMonte. Find the information there. Uh, please check him out on social. Tell somebody about his book. Tell somebody about us. Follow us. Let us know what you thought of this episode. And, you know, just keep vibing with us. Keep yeah, the vibes listen. live. One, you want that book so you look like a cool adult pop punk kid that like you maybe read and then you can listen to us and be like, I'm cool and up to date on things that I don't want to see on the hellhole that is Twitter. Stay off Twitter. We'll be re <laughs> we'll be returning next week with another podcast on Monday. 
Please subscribe, like, comment, all the good things. From all of us here at the Emo Social Club, I am Brian. And I'm Lizzie. Goodbye. Timing. The way you look into the camera and you're like, I'm ready for it. Timing. Uh, Can I pick be what honest? We're gonna, yeah, I almost oh, said please. a hardcore sheesh at the beginning, but I withheld hey. myself. No. Uh, I was like, what would Brian buddy. do if I just, he just says, hi, I'm Brian, and then I go sheesh. <laughs> I'd laugh. I'd be like, all right, Lizzie. Okay, <laughs> I see what you're bringing.